I want to encourage you. Read God's word. It'll Kids, change you're dismissed. your life. Sorry, honey. We're going to be uh, reading again Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance now to come before your word. Uh, we know the power it has uh, to transform lives, uh, to change our hearts. And God, we recognize how desperate we are for that. God, apart from your transforming work, uh, we would be dead in our sin. We'd be lost forever. But, but you have come uh, and you have made yourself known and you have made a way uh, for us to know you. And so God, we thank you for the chance to worship you through your word now. We pray that you'll bless this time, bless our kids uh, back in their classes as they study your word uh, thank you for all the teachers and their willingness to study and to teach our children the Word of God. God, thank you for this chance to be together here in person, and we pray that you will use this time to glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Some of the, uh, the questions we come across from time to time are no-brainers. Uh, so I was trying to think of just a few uh, no-brainer type questions for you. If, if somebody offered you a free meal tonight, and they gave you two options. You could take a, uh, a, a couple cups of styrofoam ramen, and, uh, and that could be your dinner, but it was free to you. It's a gift. Or uh, you could go to Hall's, uh, the nice steakhouse downtown Greenville, or any other you know, really nice restaurant that you may like. It's your choice. Nice place or ramen. Free. Either way, it's free. That's a no-brainer. Like, it's pretty easy to know you would not pick the ramen. Uh, I, we, uh, we're in the middle of basketball season for, uh, for the young kids, and so I'm coaching Micah's team. Micah's doing great for his first time playing basketball, but if you were drafting a, a team and you had some people in front of you uh, to pick for your team, and one of them is my son Micah, as, as, as impressive as he is at five years old, and another option is Steph Curry, you know, the multi-time MVP, uh, you know, champion, world champion of, of NBA. It's a no-brainer. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be offended when you don't pick Micah, but it's a no-brainer. You should pick Steph Curry if you actually uh, want your team to win. Uh, if, you, if I had to ask you what's more impressive, uh, the little uh, you know, tree house I built behind my house for, for my kids or the actual house that Aaron built that his whole family lives in, like an actual house, what's more impressive? You, again, I, I want your compliments. I enjoy our tree house, but it's a no-brainer that the actual house is way 
more impressive. Let me ask you one that, that should be just as clear, just as clear, should be equally a, a no-brainer about who is, is worthy of worship, who's deserving of worship. Well, one option is yourself. You, you, are, you are a great person. You really are. I know many of you. You, you are great people. You have lots of gifts and talents. You have unique skill sets and histories. You, you have amazing things you've all done. But I also know many of you. <laughs> and you have some, you know, some flaws and some mistakes and some history. And, and, and you're just limited in the fact that you are human, right? The other option for worship is the God of the universe. The one who created every star in the sky. The one who is keeping our planet miraculously in orbit around just one of those stars and has created galaxies upon galaxies. He's created every mountain that we see. He's created every river and ocean and every fish and every animal. He has, he has given breath to your lungs. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loved his people so much, even though they rebelled against him, they sent his Savior, his Son, as a Savior into the world to save you and to die on a cross. You know, it's a toss-up, right? Worship you, yourself, or worship God? Of course not. It is a no-brainer as long as we present it that way, right? As long as we can present it clearly and, and think it through, we, you know, we try to be good people. And we've, you know, humanity, we've done some pretty amazing things. We've also done some really bad things. And so it is a no-brainer that we should worship God over ourselves. But of course, it's not always that easy in our day-to-day -day life, or at least we pretend like it's not. We pretend like it's not a no-brainer, that, that it is a toss-up. And we go back and forth between who we are really going to worship. Ourself, our desires, our pleasures, our interest, what we think's best, or worship the God of the universe. Day by day, as we consider the decisions we make, we don't always treat that as straightforward as it should be. When push comes to shove, when it's going to cost us something to worship God, and we decide we, we like that thing more than we like God, we don't always make the right decision. Who are you living for? Who are you serving? Who are you worshiping? Ourselves or God? The third temptation Jesus faced in the desert with the devil was a temptation about worship, about who he was going to worship. And of course, the options seem so stark and obvious. Are you going to worship the devil or God? And when we, when we lay it out like that, it is a no-brainer. This is a no doubt that Jesus should get it right, and he did. But if we slow down long enough to consider what Jesus' temptation really was here, and if we consider what it was going to cost him to worship God, we may appreciate Jesus' victory all the more, and we may be able to relate a little bit more to what this temptation was. We've been looking at Jesus' temptation in the desert in Matthew 4 as a way of starting 2022 because each time he responds to this temptation with this phrase, it is written. And we said when we face this year and we're looking ahead to the year that, that we have, what are we going to base our life on? What is, what is the rock beneath our feet? What's the foundation that's going to help us as we figure out each step, each temptation we're going we're to face? We know that in our, in our own strength we have no power to overcome the devil. But we can point to the word of God, we can point to Christ himself, and we can say, it is written. Jesus did that each time, including this third time. This third temptation, uh, in, in each of these, the devil reveals that he, 
He knows something about Jesus. Just like he knows a little bit about you and knows which buttons to push and, and where to come. He, he knew something about Jesus. And so he comes and he offers Jesus something he would want. And this is a fulfillment of the mission he would eventually have. So he said this, or he says this in, in Matthew 4, 8 and 9. It says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you. I'm going to stop right there. All these, all the kingdoms of the earth, I will give to you. This was not a, a random offer that the devil made. This was not arbitrary or just kind of something he thought of on the spot. The devil knew that Jesus came for this. Jesus came to rescue people from all the kingdoms of the earth. This is Jesus' explicit purpose of being on the earth, to rescue, to save all the people from all the kingdoms. So the devil knew that. And he was offering him the very thing that he wanted most. He said, this is what you came for, right? This, this is what you're here for. So let me tell you a different way you can get there. Just a, you know, same goal, just a little alternate path to the same place you're heading. All of these I will give you, verse 9, if you will fall down and worship me. I'll give you what you want, Jesus, the devil says. And we'll just go about it a different way. Fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of men. That's a pretty bold request from the devil. That was a very bold thing for him to say, just, just worship me. The devil started pretty subtle, you know, making something, making bread. Didn't seem like, you know, a cosmic event for Jesus if he just would have made bread. But the payoff was pretty small too, just going to satisfy your own hunger. But it has grown from there, hasn't it? Now the, the, the offer is pretty big. All the kingdoms of the world, but the request is pretty big too. Instead of worshiping God, to worship the devil. On the third temptation, the, the devil has gotten audaciously bold. So it seems very clear to us. Of course he's not going to worship the devil. Of course he's not going to do that. But consider what Jesus was offering him. If Jesus came, as he did, for all the kingdoms of the world to redeem all the people, we know that he knew and he was going to accomplish that by dying on the cross. The way he came to save us was to give his life as a ransom to pay the penalty that we owed to God for our sin. Jesus came to pay that penalty and at a tremendous cost to himself by dying on the cross. So what the devil was offering him was a way of getting the, the thing he wanted, all the kingdoms of the world, but not having to suffer to get there. He was offering him an alternative path that instead of going to the cross, he could make just this one shortcut, this just one-time, you know, deviation from the plan to be able to get what he, what he ultimately wanted. The ends justify the means, right? He's just what he's saying. And it's not like Satan said, be my slave forever. All he said was just this one time, just one time, bow down and worship. You start to weigh that out. <clears throat> you can at least see the temptation, right? I mean, think about Jesus, what it would have been like for him. He, he knew the end from the beginning. He knew what was coming. This is probably three, three and a half years or so before the cross. He's got the next three years of his life living knowing that's what's coming at the end. He knows that's coming. And we know the grief that he felt because the night before the cross, he's in the garden praying that this would pass. And he's so, so um, just wrestling with that that he's bleeding, sweating blood. He's in complete agony that night. 
Then when he goes to the cross, and you know, you've seen the pain. I mean, this would be an incredible amount of pain, but beyond just the physical pain, it's the forsakenness by the Father that he dreaded most. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows that's coming. He knows that's the pain. He knows that's the suffering that's coming at the end of his life, all to accomplish this purpose, that all the kingdoms of the world would finally belong to him. So why not just take it? I mean, just, just one time, right? One time. Of course, Jesus could not do that. Could not do that. It would ruin everything. But at least we can sympathize. Matthew 4.1 calls it temptation. It had to be something that he actually wanted for him to be tempted. But he withstood the temptation because he knew how bad this would really be. And when he did, this is what he taught us. Refuse shortcuts that promise less pain but demand disobedience. This is what Jesus taught us. Refuse shortcuts that promise less pain but demand disobedience. The devil's offer was that Jesus could get what he wanted, but he had to directly disobey God the Father. Each of these temptations the devil has given are, are, are directly aimed at the relationship between the Father and the Son. Each of these, the devil is trying to split them, trying to, trying to take this perfect unity between Father and Son and drive a wedge between them. And he's doing that because right before this, at the end of Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father has just made this public declaration about His Son and about the relationship they have. And so he's, the devil is trying to drive a wedge right there. The greatest thing he has, the Son's relationship with the Father, he's trying to break that. And that's why Jesus knew he had to refuse this shortcut because demanding that kind of disobedience would not be allowed. Jesus acted wisely. He refused the shortcut, even though it promised less pain, because he knew he could not follow into disobedience. So I wonder if you see that kind of temptation in your life. If I, if I asked you, I mean, do you, are you tempted to worship the devil? Then you probably say, no, that's not something we, maybe not, maybe you are, but most of us probably don't think about that day to day of being tempted to worship the devil. But if we relate to the way Jesus was tempted here, we might see this is a temptation we face too. It's the temptation to take a shortcut that promises a little bit less pain, but demands disobedience. Now that we can relate to. I would say daily, if not weekly, but probably daily, we, we face something like that. When doing the right thing is going to cost you something, that's the temptation we face. Am I going to worship God in this moment? Am I going to continue to serve, <coughs> excuse me, serve God? Or am I going to ah, take a little way around because serving God is going to cost me something? It's going to cost me something. When being honest costs you some extra money. It costs you a little bit of extra money if you're honest. You could, you could take a shortcut. <coughs> it, would, it, would, it would take less pain because you could, you could earn a little bit more money. Yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to take some dishonesty. Yeah, you kind of have to go around and, you know, be a little in the gray area a little bit. But if you, if you just take that, you get less pain being disobedient, but you get more money. And choosing a, a cleaner lifestyle might cost you some friendships. There's a temptation there. There's a temptation when inviting those friends to church might cost you uh, an awkward conversation. 
when, when stepping away from, from, from alcohol or drugs or something may, may cost you withdrawals or cost you the, the buzz you're used to. And when waiting, waiting for, for marriage might cost you pleasure now. When loving others cost you the opportunity to do what you wanted to do instead of serving them. When being at church costs you a lazy Sunday morning or, or, or spending time in God's Word cost you an extra 30 minutes of sleep or, or cost you 30 minutes of watching TV at night. When following God costs you something, that's when we wonder, am I falling into this same temptation? The devil is saying, you... You can take a shortcut. You don't have to go through as much pain. You don't have to do the thing that's hard. Just do the easier thing, and it'll be okay. But what he's not telling you is that he is demanding direct disobedience to God and his word. And if we can put it before it honestly, if we can put it before it, am I worshiping the devil or am I following God? It seems clearer. It seems like a no-brainer. And yet all the time we take shortcuts to avoid pain, thinking this it's going to be okay. But Christ teaches us to refuse the shortcuts, even if they promise us pain, when they demand disobedience. The reality is, I, I'm not even sure the devil would have gone through with what he promised. Because the devil is a liar. In fact, John 8, Jesus calls him the father of lies. So when the devil promised, I'll give you all the kingdoms of men, and he makes all kinds of promises like that to us. I just, it's not, this, not that big a deal. Just do this. Just... Just give in to that. Just watch that. He makes all kinds of promises to downplay sin to us. But he is the father of lies. I, I don't think he could have even followed through with what he was promising to Jesus. Now, we, there's you know, debate about how, what, what does the devil have power over, but 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 refers to the devil as the god of this world that's blinded the minds of unbelievers. John 12.31, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19 says the world lies in the power of the evil one. So yes, the devil has some kind of power over this world. He, he is the one tempting and drawing the world away. So he has some power over it. But man, read Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the refrain over and over again that Nebuchadnezzar has to learn is that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to whoever he wishes. There, there's only one Most High Sovereign. Yes, there are kings and presidents and prime ministers, and the devil is one of these rulers that has some authority, but it is a, is a subjugated authority. There's one true God. So when the devil says, yeah, I'll give you all these kingdoms, I don't even think he can follow through with it. But he twists and he manipulates and he lies all to get us off track. God alone is sovereign over all things. So when it comes to us debating, ah, who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to follow? Don't pick the father, father of lies. He's a terrible, terrible person to follow. Even if Jesus would have worshipped the devil, I don't think he would have gone through it. The devil wouldn't have been able to have gone through with his end of the deal. He promised less pain, but in reality, surely, every shortcut we take is actually going to lead to greater pain in the end, isn't it? We may take the shortcut, and in the short term, we make more money, or we have the pleasure, or whatever else it may be. But he, we know from God's word that the end of that path isn't good. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Taking the easy path, the shortcut, trying to get out of a little bit of pain in direct disobedience to God doesn't actually lead to less pain in the long run. It leads to destruction. Shortcuts offer a path around, but in the long run, they are more costly. 
So refuse the shortcuts. Stick to Christ. Stick to His Word. If worshiping the devil is the disobedience, what does obedience look like? What Jesus says in verse 10 is, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. No, Satan, he says very clearly, no way, I will not worship you. He says, in fact, be gone. I like that. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Here, here's why, why Jesus was saying, I, I'm not going to follow that. God has explicitly given us a command against the very thing you're saying. God's word versus your word, devil. I'm picking God's word every single time. That's what Jesus says. This is a command to unrivaled allegiance. That's what worship is, right? Unrivaled allegiance. There's no competition with God. There's no, no debate about who's greater. God demands our exclusive worship. It's not God plus something else. And that's, the, that's what Jesus is quoting from here. The, the context back in Deuteronomy. Every, all three of these times in Matthew 4, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy. This one's from Deuteronomy 6.13 where Moses is commanding the people before they go into the promised land, he's saying, hey, remember this, mark this, this is really important. There is one God, worship him alone. And the reason he told them that is you're going to get in that promised land, and you're going to get to know your neighbors, and they're all worshiping fake gods that they built, and you're going to be tempted to worship them. Don't do it. Worship God. Moses was a prophet. <laughs> he knew what was coming. And sure enough, over and over again, that was Israel's biggest sin is they stopped worshiping God exclusively. And you may think, well, hey, I'm in church today. I, 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 I'm not going to a mosque or something right now. Like, how hard is it? I'm here. No, to worship God exclusively doesn't just mean that you come to church one week and you don't go to a mosque. Like, not just that you're switching back and forth religions. This is what Israel did. They didn't stop worshiping God. Sometimes they did. But many times what they did is they kept worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord, and they built altars to other gods, and they took on worshiping other people, and they took women from foreign nations and began to build temple to their, to their gods, right? Over and over again. And that temptation we absolutely fall into all the time. What I mean is that we worship God when it's convenient, when it's beneficial, when it's to our benefit, but when it costs us something, we'll say, yeah, I'll keep worshiping God, and I'm going to live for this thing too. We try to, do, we try to hold both. And it doesn't work that way. True worship is exclusive, undivided allegiance. So take money. When, when you're doing what's best according to God and honoring and seeking His kingdom, when that collides with making money, which do you choose? When, when you've got a choice to make. If I go this way, I'll honor God, I'll love God, I'll love people. If I go this way, I'll make more money. What do you choose? What do you choose? We try to justify it. We try to say, eh, you know, this is not that bad or whatever else. But God's word tells us you cannot serve God and money. Or replace this with anything else in your, in your temptations. Everything else that God puts before you. Success, comfort, people pleasing. If it's worship God or something else, what do you choose? If it's going to cost you something, that's, that's where you find, that's the rub, right? It's easy to say, I'll worship God when the band's playing a great song I love. But when it costs you something, do you keep worshiping him? The devil asked Jesus to worship him as a way of getting around the cross. The cross was, if, he's, if he stayed on his path, Jesus, it's going to cost you something. So go a different way. 
And that's where he proved his worship. That's where he proved his undivided allegiance. I'm willing to stick with the Father even when it cost him his life. Even when it cost him his life. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In our hearts, do you know who the primary competitor is for worship in our hearts? It's not actually the devil. Like I said, you probably don't think about that every week. I'm going to go worship the devil now. No. You know who the primary competitor is? It's you. It's you. And that's actually what the devil was offering here. The devil knew that, that Jesus had, had no real desire. The devil wasn't, Jesus wasn't looking at the devil going, ah, oh, that's a pretty cool guy, you know? And the devil knew that. No, what he was offering was really worshiping himself. If Jesus said, I'll take your way, devil, to get out of the cross, what he was actually choosing was his own comfort, his own lack of suffering. He was actually worshiping himself. So the real dilemma wasn't just devil versus God. That makes it pretty easy. This one should be just as easy, but it's not. The real dilemma was myself versus God. Am I going to do the thing that's easy for me, or am I going to worship God? We are so self-focused. We, we spend every waking moment with ourselves. We think about ourselves all the time. So what, what does it look like for us to face this kind of temptation? Between us and God, it should be clear. It should be a no-brainer about who we worship. And yet all the time, we don't. This, this week, as I was kind of wrestling with that idea, I really want to dive in. What, is, what does it mean to, to worship God and not self? Why, why, do we, why don't we choose? Like if we could just lay it out there that clearly. Here's the, the worship self option. Here's the worship God option. God's worthy of worship. I'm not. If we could just make that clear every time, we would. Well, why, why, don't we, why don't we get there? Why do we choose ourselves? So I, I mean, I have some ideas why, but I decided to come at that a little differently. I wanted to get to like, what, what is truly, what is worship? What, what is worship? So I spent some time on that word today and, or this week and um, came across a, a few helpful things. One person uh, compared the word worship to the word love. You know, you, you, don't have to have a, you don't have to write some kind of Webster dictionary definition of love. Like, we all kind of have an idea of what love is. And that's kind of how worship works. We kind of have an idea of what worship is. Praise, adoration, you know, we kind of get the idea. But if you try to press into it, it can get kind of, ah, what's love? What, what's worship? But let's press into that. You, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. So if you had to de define worship, think for a moment. If you had to define, what is worship? What is Praise. What does it mean to worship God? Well, what is true biblical worship? I found lots of great definitions. I'm going to give you a couple just short ones and put them on the screen for you. Louis Giglio uh, is a pastor in Atlanta. He says, Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and what He has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. That's pretty good. D.A. Carson, a pastor, scholar, has written a lot of good things. He says, Worship is the proper response to God, ascribing all honor and worth to the Creator God precisely because He is worthy, delightfully so. Delightfully so. Those were helpful to me this week as I kind of meditated on that. And if I could break down their, their comments and some other passages and things I was studying, really this, I see two, two, two parts of what worship is. Truth and affection. Truth and affection. Here's what I mean by that. Biblical worship requires us knowing God truly for who He is. If we are truly going to worship the one true God, it has to be grounded on the truth. When we come to worship, we are not worshiping a God we created. This is in response to God's Word. We are not making a God and saying, this is the God I like to worship. No, no, no. We, we receive 
from God's word who he is, the truth of who he is, of what he's done and what he's like, his character, his attributes, his nature. We receive that truth, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. We, we got to start with the truth, but then it has to turn to our affections. It has to turn to our hearts. If we receive truth and it does nothing to us, if we have no desire, no affection, no love for him, then it's not truly worship. It's not truly praising him. We read in places like Psalm 29 two, the one that's on the wall actually, uh, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord glory. We're, we're worshiping, we're praising him. What? Why? Because his, he is so good. His name is so good that he is worth praising. He is worth exalting. Christ, God is, a, is an objective truth. There is an objective reality. It's not something we made up. We are responding to the truth. And here's why that's important. If you don't know God, you can't worship him. If you don't know who he is and what, he is, what he's like and what he's done, you can't truly worship him. Compare how much time you spend with yourself with how much time you spend with God. Who do you know better, God or yourself? If our primary temptation is to worship ourselves instead of worshiping God, then we've got to find a way to focus our minds and our hearts off of ourselves and on to God. That's what it's going to take. We have to replace it if we're going to worship Him. Listen to, to Psalm 145 as it describes God's mighty acts and His majesty, His awesome deeds, His greatness, His goodness, His righteousness, His grace. This is uh, Psalm 145, starting in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Do you do, you do that? Do you meditate on the, the splendor of God? They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. They shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good over all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Do you hear those descriptions of who He is? Do you, do you ponder that about God? Do you consider what He's like, His attributes, His goodness, His grace, His mercy? If you don't know the truth of who He is, then you can't worship Him. You can't, you can't worship something you don't know. You, you would just be worshiping something you made up. We have, to, we have to know God if we're truly going to worship Him. But of course, it's more than just knowing. We can know lots of facts. This, this is transparent. That, that, that's black. The high, the high yesterday was 42 degrees. I can, you can have random truth, true facts that don't stir your affections. When we consider the, the truth of who God is and what He's like, it, it does something to our hearts if the Spirit is inside of us. If we've been made new, if our hearts have been changed by, by God Himself, then we come to, as we come to know God more and more, we come to love Him more and more. True worship requires both truth and our affections, that we worship Him for who He is. The Psalms are filled with commands to our own soul, drawing out those affections. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Don't forget what all He's done for you. Don't forget His goodness and His grace and His mercy. Don't forget... He is worthy of your worship. And Carson, the end of his definition, ascribing all honor and worth to the Creator God precisely because He is worthy, delightfully so. 
What's amazing about worship of God is that when we come and we worship Him for who He is, we find out this worship, it's not a, it's not a burden. It's our greatest joy. There is nothing greater than enjoying God's presence. There is nothing more beautiful than having a relationship with the Lord that He is our greatest delight. When we know God for who He is, we dive deeper and deeper into the truth of His nature and His character and His attributes. We're diving into the greatest truth, the greatest reality, the greatest love there ever was. And we're enjoying His presence. What greater joy could there be in knowing the God who put all the stars in the universe? What greater joy could there be in knowing the one who made the greatest sacrifice of love. What, what greater joy could there be than in knowing the one who has written the most beautiful story ever written? What greater joy could there be in knowing our Heavenly Father, who's had a plan from before the foundation of the world to save you, to, to know you by name, to know everything wrong with you and everything great about you, and love you still, and love you enough to draw you to Himself. What, what greater joy could there be? And yet, we spend so much of our life chasing cheap, mindless pleasures when we could have a relationship with God. You should worship the Lord your God, and Him only you should serve. That being true, we, we need to know this God better, don't we? We need to know this God better. And the thing that comes up three times in Matthew 4, as Jesus responds, He could have said anything He wanted, right? Jesus is Jesus. Anything He said would have become Scripture. And yet the way he responded to the devil was intentionally instructional for us. That he said, it is written. If we want to know God better, then we have to know his word better. Let the word lead you to worship. Let the word lead you to worship. The challenge I've given you for the start of 2022 that I've mentioned the last couple of weeks is to take one step forward in your commitment to, your, your, to, your commitment to God's word. That may be corporate, your commitment here. It may be personal in your own time with God's word. It may be in a group, in a discipleship group, or maybe all three if you can. But finding a way to say, God, I, I want to know you better in your word. And I'm going to take one step forward in my commitment to know you better so I can worship you for who you are. Let, let, me, let me recommend to you a very simple practice that I think can really transform the way you know God. I, I invite you to, to be in the word, to be in God's word. And no matter where you are in God's word, as you read this is the very first question you should ask. What does this tell me about God? As I read this chapter, it doesn't matter where you are in the Bible. It could be the Old Testament law. It could be the Old Testament writings like the Psalms. It could be the New Testament Gospels, New Testament letter. Wherever it is, Father, Son, and Spirit, what does this tell me about God? And then take just a moment to ponder Him. R write, maybe you have to, I have to do this. I have to write things down because my mind is scattered. I have to write it down. This, I literally write what does this tell me about God? And I fill in the blank. And then ponder that. Consider it for a moment. Just, just contemplate His goodness and His mercy. So, or, or whatever it tells you about, about Him. So I, I had to just, all right, I'll make sure I put this in practice. So Friday, I was in Acts 10 and 11, which is Peter and Cornelius' story where Peter sees the vision uh, of this, this uh, cloth that's, that comes down with all the animals. And this is what Peter tells Cornelius. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And then when he preaches to Cornelius, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So if I read that and I write down the question, what does this tell me about God? This tells me that God has a heart for all nations. 
God has a heart for all kinds of people, Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, North American, wherever. God has a heart for all kinds of people and praise God for that because I don't look like Jesus. Praise God that he loves even me, a guy born in Mobile, Alabama. Praise God that he has a heart for all kinds of different people. God is so good and so gracious and so generous. He is not like us. He doesn't have the biases and the struggles and the way we see people. He sees people as made in his image. God, thank you that you see me and all my brothers and sisters around the world as made in your image. And just ponder him. Just ponder him. Just contemplate his goodness. The biblical, uh, the Bible lexicon definition for worship is to express an attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. Worship, prostrate oneself before in reverence or to welcome respectfully. When you read God's word, is that your heart's position of just submitting to him and praising him for who he is? That's what God's word invites us to do. And if we want to worship him, if we want to know him better, if we want to love him more, then in 2022, let's take that heart position before God. I want to give you one final note from Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember that, um, what the devil had asked him to do in the second temptation? He said to, to call down the angels to come rescue you. Well, when this passage ends in verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him. And what happens next? It says, Behold, angels came. God had, the, the devil had tempted Jesus to work on God or to, to, to demand, demand something of God. Send angels now. And yet, when Jesus resisted, in God's time and in God's way, God sent the angels. God sent the angels just like he needed and he wanted. And what did the angels do when they came? It says the angels came and were ministering to him. And the word ministers is a word for serve. It can literally mean to wait on tables. It's the same word that's used back uh, or used forward from here in Acts chapter 6 where they distributed food to the widows. What was Jesus' the first temptation? Turn this, bread, this stone into bread. He didn't do it. He resisted. And in God's timing, God fed him. God met his needs. The third temptation was that you can have all the kingdoms of, of glory, right? You can have all the kingdoms. Jesus resisted, and what happened? He didn't skip the cross. He went to it, Philippians 2, 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on cross. So then what happened? God gave him a much better reward. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow where? Just, just the kingdoms of men? No, no, no. Way better than that. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So often when we come to temptation, we only hear the devil's words, don't we? Ah, oh, these are your options. But if we will choose to follow God, choose to submit to Him, choose to keep worshiping Him, what, what if God has a much greater plan? in His timing and in His way, to answer all the desires, all the things we want, all our greatest joys. It may not be when we want it, maybe 40 days later, maybe a lifetime later. It may not look how we want it, but we trust that God is good. He is sovereign over all the kings of men, and He will love us like we need to be loved. We fail so often to resist the devil. And what Jesus has shown us is that He has won. He has won the victory. And now that victory can be ours by faith. And we respond in worship. We, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. We have one more chance to sing now.
one more chance to worship, to use our words back to God in praise. And I pray that you respond in just that way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to see your love and your grace and your power, your authority in your son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you have sent him so that we can be known and know you like you are, know you as you truly are. God, thank you that he resisted the devil where we so often fail. Father, I pray that the more time we spend with you, the more our hearts will be drawn to worship. God, I pray that you would convict each of us for neglecting you, for not seeking you, not seeking to know you as you are, but instead continuing to worship ourselves. Father, you, may you make it just as clear, just as, just as much of a no-brainer as it should be when we worship ourselves instead of worship you. And may you draw us, even in moments like these, to confess our sins, to lay them before you, and to come and to worship you. Lord, bless this time that we share now, that we may sing back to you in praise. May our hearts be drawn exclusively to you in worship. And may you be the one, the only one we serve. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.